In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, 500 years ago, Martin Luther publicly challenged the belief that somehow we can earn or merit our salvation. He preached the simple message that he found throughout the Bible. We are made righteous by our faith in Christ alone. Christ has accomplished our salvation for us. We receive the promise of the forgiveness of sins, the promise of eternal life, as a free gift based on what Christ has done for us. And this was at odds with what the Catholic Church was teaching at the time. Luther found in the Catholic Church not the teachings of Scripture, but he found teachings that troubled his conscience beyond repair. The Catholic Church asserted, as it still does today, that your justification, that your right standing before God, comes through faith and works. They taught that you must cooperate with God to be saved. But Luther denied this, because he saw that what Christ accomplished was enough for us. What could we possibly add to what Christ has done? And when Luther was called to stand before the emperor in 1521 and to stand before his accusers of the church, and they asked him to recant what he was preaching, Luther courageously stood and said, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. And so out of that moment, and on this Reformation Sunday, I think it's appropriate to ask, what would Luther say to us today? 500 years later, what might his message to our church be? In fact, I'm often conscious of this question because although you seated out there are looking up toward the pulpit and to the altar, when I look out to you all, I'm facing Luther up there above the balcony. And so I often stand here and think of Luther as my supervisor, right? Because his image stands as a reminder to any preacher that's up here in this pulpit that they are bound by the scriptures and that their consciences must only be captive to the word of God. And this is what I believe Luther would say to this congregation this morning. That is, hold truth, hold to the truth of the word of God. Hold to that truth. Nothing else in the world ought to hold your conscience captive. And with that, I think we can directly turn to what Christ says to us in John chapter 8. Our Lord says, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. The emphasis in this verse is that continuation, that abiding in Christ's word, right? To continue in his word, to remain steadfast in it, to stay in it, to not give up on it, to stay committed to it, but more than that, to hold on to that word for dear life, to live your life in it. There's nothing else to be your foundation, only the word. And what Christ is telling us here as his disciples is that the word is not there to be an accessory to our life. It's not there to put on when it's convenient. But for the Christian, the word is life itself. In John 8.30, many of the Jews had first heard Jesus and they actually believed in him, is what the verse says. They believed what he said. 
they started to see that maybe Jesus was the Messiah who had come to save Israel. In John 8, Jesus had told the Jews that he had come to be exalted. He had come to be lifted up. And so many of the Jewish crowds there heard that, and they were hopeful. Because they thought Jesus had come to be exalted as a king like David. They thought he would expel the enemies of Israel. He would expel the Romans. That he would, as Messiah, take the rightful place over Caesar, over Herod. And he would usher in a golden age of independence for the kingdom of Israel. And so when they heard Jesus say that he came to be exalted, this is exactly what they imagined. They did not imagine, nor did they understand, that Jesus had come to be exalted on the cross. And so in verse 30, we're told that many did believe in Jesus. But then by the end of chapter 8 in verse 59, the same ones who believed in him were picking up stones to throw at him. They wanted a Messiah who would provide them with every earthly comfort. A king who would give them power, who would make them politically independent, who would come and destroy the enemies just as King David had done. That was the freedom that they longed for. Jesus, however, tells them that he has come to make them free in much more important matters. He says he has come to set them free from sin. He has come to free them from the accusations of the law. And he has come to free them from the grave. Jesus has come as the king who would defeat our first and most powerful enemies, sin, death, and the devil. In other words, Jesus came to them and said he was going to accomplish for them what only Almighty God could accomplish. And they rejected him. They did not believe that sin was their real problem. They thought their political plight was their real problem. Their hearts were hardened to the true gospel that Christ brought. They missed the message of true freedom that Christ was proclaiming. Christ brought the freedom to stop trying to earn salvation. St. Paul in Romans put it like this, We are all now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You don't have to try to climb the ladder up to God. You don't have to wonder if you are doing enough to make it to heaven. You don't have to impress God in some way. None of these things work. Instead, you get to receive the free gift of salvation God has given you through Christ. But this requires an acknowledgement. The acknowledgement that, in fact, you are a sinner who needs God's grace. You can't do this on your own. You need Christ. And so this confession that you need Christ, that is the confession that leads us to true freedom. If you've ever worked, like really worked hard to impress an employer, you might understand how good this freedom is. Or you can work at a job really hoping to impress your boss. You can put in extra hours, you can stay diligent, you can forego your vacation time, you can never call in sick, you can do everything just right. You can work and work and hope to get recognition and hope to get rewarded with a bigger paycheck. And if you've ever lived like that, you know just how stressful that life can be. Or maybe you've lived to get your parents to recognize you for who you are, for how good you are. Or perhaps you've lived to impress someone you're dating, you're married to, you work hard to impress teachers at school, whatever the case may be. You will feel that weight of always trying to work 
to be recognized. And some of us even have tried really hard to work to impress God. Coming to church, giving generously, giving to charity, being good to others. And we've worked thinking that if God will just recognize how good we are, then we'll have it made. And this, trying to impress God, is a magnitude greater than even working to impress a boss. Because we work to impress God so that God doesn't forget us when we die. We work to impress God to avoid going to hell. We work to earn a spot in heaven. And when we fall into this thinking, we will inevitably begin to wonder, am I enough? Can I ever do enough to make God happy with me? Well, this is the trap that Christ sets us free from. Because he does the work for us. He redeems us so that we are promised a place in God's presence for eternity. And so we're given the freedom not to work to impress God, but the freedom to enjoy the promises of God. We are given lives to enjoy the many gifts of God. We're set free, free from the fear of death, free from the fear of judgment, free from the devil's accusations against us, free to rest in the grace of God. What Jesus says here, that his disciples will know the truth and the truth will set them free, he is, in fact, talking to us this Reformation Sunday. 500 years ago, Luther preached the true gospel, that the captives would be set free by Christ. And it's the same gospel truth that you will receive this morning. The gospel is you are not saved by anything you do, but you are saved by trusting in what Christ has done for you. This morning, you are made free. And so Luther would remind us this morning not to trust in the stories of the world, the stories that the world might be trying to convince us of, of this day and age. right? Because so much in our world, our culture tells us we need to find our identities by finding our stories and the authentic expression of who we are. This is the cultural expression that is in vogue right now. You hear things like, live your truth, or I'm just living my truth. That's the story of our culture. Find the most fulfilling job. Make lots of money and live your truth. Or identify yourself with a special status that only you have a say over. This is your truth. Our culture will say identify as a victim. This will make you special. Identify by having a unique sexual preference. Identify by your work status. Identify by your ethnicity. Identify by your political party. Identify by some cause and so on. That's the culture's story. That once you identify with whatever you choose, whatever you believe your story is, then you're on your way to true happiness. And that's the lie of the culture. Because it's a lie that's oppressive. It's a lie that will always leave you a slave to a guilty conscience. And so instead, we push back against that lie. And we push back with the gospel of freedom. Luther would push back on these kinds of lies. Luther would say, don't put your hope into something called your truth. He would tell us to put our hope in the truth. He would tell us not to love the things of this world, but to love the truth of God's word. And that's the heart of the truth, that you are no longer a slave to sin, but that Christ has set you free. You no longer stand in God's judgment. You don't have to work to make God happy. 
The central message of the word of God is this truth, that the Son has made you free, and you are free indeed. And so stay true to that word, not to the word of the things of this world, but to God's word. Hold on to his promises, and not only hold on to them, but love them. The promises that God has given you at your baptism, that you are his now and forever, hold on to that, because that's what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. A disciple is one who holds on to the truth of the gospel. And so when we hold on to that truth, then we will know what true freedom is. Amen.